Hello and welcome. This is our safe space. Welcome to Incredible. Not credible. A history. Hi, I'm Kelly. I'm Marley. And uh, we're a group of gals doing a podcast. Because what else do we have to do? We have nothing else to do with our lives. We're bored and we've been thinking about this for a while. We have. This is not a new idea. We've been wanting to do this for at least a couple of days, right? Yeah, like we are now at the 48th hour of when we decided to do this. Yep, so we're just... Is it ever too late or early for a former English major to start a podcast? Never. I don't think so. I feel like you have to, to get some sort of rite of passage, some sort of award at the end of your life. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think we're allowed into heaven without having a podcast or a blog under our belts. Yep, and I have both. Thank God. Wonderful. Yeah, speaking of which, Marley, you have Day and Night. You published that today. That's amazing. I did. I I, did. I think I said the name wrong. Day and Night Diabetic. Thank you. You said the beginning part, not the end part, but Dana Diabetic <laughs> is the blog that I currently just started hours ago. Which is awesome. So today's a big day for you. It really is. It's <laughs> stressful also. There's a lot of new things happening today. For sure. Yeah. No, I've been stressing out over just a microphone and you've had more on your plate. So it's fine. I'm just going <laughs> to crash later. It'll be fine. Um, so Kelly, tell people a little what you do with your life. I am a middle school English teacher mm -hmm. and, um, that is who I am and that is what I do. That's what you identify that as. That is what I identify as. That is, um, having gone through an existential crisis, that is what I've come to the realization. I am a middle school English teacher. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get better, folks. Hey, speaking of which, Marley, what do you do for a job? Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> I am a cataloger at a library, oh. and most people don't know what that is. And I still okay. don't know what it is. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I'll, <laughs> quick synopsis, I pretty much catalog books that libraries get for their collections so people can check them out. That's yes. basically my main job. There's more to it, but I don't need to bore you with the details. And then on the side, I'm a freelance writer, mm -hmm. and I currently just started my blog, as we have already discussed. Wonderful. That's super exciting. Mm -hmm. Great. So, um... Why are we incredible, not credible, though? Well, I think, as listeners have already heard, we are fantastic people. Incredible. That's where the incredible part comes in. That is. We're hilarious, and we <laughs> want everyone to know it. Not to pat ourselves on the back. We are real funny. I crack myself up when I'm alone. Constantly. That's all we do. Um, <laughs> but not credible because we started this to give people an inside look at different parts of history that may or may not have been brought to their attention previously. And my main source was Wikipedia for majority of my information. Marley, what's... Yep, mine started on an article that then kind of pushed me towards Wikipedia and uh, a few other variations. Yeah. But I feel like it's pretty solid in the information. Right. I mean, like, for sure. I, I, did, I did go further than Wikipedia. I, w I even went to Smithsonian, wow. um, which... Whew, they are bougie over there. Okay. They had an Pat yourself on the back. Toot you're your welcome. Own horn. I will toot my own horn. Um, <laughs> so, Marley, how did you and I become friends? Well, we are both English majors, mm -hmm. and we met in college in a very exciting literature course. Britlet one, I believe. Doctor Ryden, I were mm, shout out, and we started making faces at each other across the tables because all of our classmates just had very 
important things to tell us about the literature we were discussing. Actually, one of our classmates used to read us things from Wikipedia pages. Yep. And which, fun that we're now doing that um, yep. to you, our listeners. But we, I think that's really where we got the idea. Thank you, girl from Lit Class, who read to us from Wikipedia, mm-hmm. as though the rest of us didn't know what those things were. Yes. Enjoyed 100%. it. Thank you so much. <laughs> and since then, we've just become better and better friends. And yeah. that's how we got here. We've been wanting to start a podcast for a long time. Mm-hmm. And with COVID and things going out of control and just wanted to connect with people, we thought, let's do it. Absolutely. And that's why we are actually here in my closet right this minute. Yep. Um, there's blankets slung from the ceiling. Literally. <laughs> Kelly, why do you like history so much? I'm kind of a big fan of history. Um, my dad kind of started this love for history in me. Um, he introduced me to some wildly age-inappropriate movies mm-hmm. um, from... A young age mm-hmm. and um just growing from that matter of enjoying those movies with my dad and um growing into those things seeing like how characters played out together and like for example my favorite movie was the gladiator and just seeing that not only did i have a major crush on russell crowe as a seven-year-old but also um it was interesting to see that like hey there's a there's a personal story behind the gladiators and it's not just like hey this is what their culture was like but also who were those individual men that were fighting those things and I think that's the thing that attracts me to history is and to obviously gain an English degree mm-hmm. um but who are what are the stories behind those people in history yeah absolutely. Marley what draws you to the subject well very similar similarly to you I have enjoyed stories and literature and books and history has always been fascinating to me because in when I was younger especially tv and movies you learn a lot of like events that have happened in the past and one of my favorite genres still is historical fiction so one movie that really played an important role for me was National Treasure you know the classic Nick Cage movie (laughs) hottie (laughs) and it's a story where it deals with figures throughout history that you've most likely learned about in Mm -hmm. school as you were growing up and it gives you a more in-depth look at either the things they did or believed but yet still gave you a fun adventure and story to dive into and so that's kind of where my love of history started and it still continues today I definitely still look up things just randomly when I learn a new interesting fact and movies and tv still play a big role in that um so that's why i'm here today wonderful well glad to have you and thank you for joining me in the closet i love it here <laughs> all right marley are you uh are you starting us off with a, a tidbit from history today i would love to start off with a little tidbit from history thank you um this one comes to you all the way back from the early 1900s mm-hmm. and it has to deal with the titanic disaster Woo! Oh, <laughs> not a woo. It was sad, but got it. I this is a piece of the history that most people probably just don't realize. Most people know the Titanic story, but um, I'll tell you a little bit what happened before the Titanic sank. Wonderful. So, as most people know, the Titanic disaster occurred on April fifteenth, nineteen twelve, which is about one hundred eight years ago, 
and there were 2,224 people on board and 100, 1,496 died in the sinking. Oh. And what most people don't know is after the Titanic hit the iceberg, it sank in only two hours and 40 minutes. So there only. was- Yeah, well, that's very, there's not enough time I mean, to get help, really. Honestly, though, I kind of imagine that if a boat is going to sink, it just goes straight down. Um, so that's a that's a solid two hours that you have to contemplate that you are about to die. Yep, that's awful. Yep, terrible time. Um, so because it sank so quickly, there was over a thousand passengers and crew still on board when it sank and died pretty much minutes after they went into the water because it was oh. so ice cold in the Atlantic. Um, even though the Titanic was given six messages about um there being icebergs and there being ice and them to be aware of these things they still kind of took it as just like a warning like an advisory they Mm. didn't really do it as like this is a necessity we should slow down we should really pay attention so that's a big issue of how that all happened but what's really fascinating is before any of this happened there was two fictional stories written by two different people and they include details that are very similar to what actually happened to the Titanic. Were they psychic? We don't know. That's unclear. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's important to note that during this time, the most of these or both of these were written in the late 1880s. Mm-hmm. Um, and transatlantic ocean liners were like the main form of travel. Right. So the fact that they like made these stories isn't uh. that weird but it's just a coincidence how close they are to the titanic disaster so the first one was written in 1886 by wt steed a prominent spiritualist and investigative journalist um his book was called how the mail steamer went down in the mid-atlantic by a survivor quick question mail is an m-a-l-e or mail is in like you've got mail that one number two got it got it okay so it's tells the story of an unnamed ocean liner that sinks into the Atlantic. Um, the protagonist is a sailor named Thompson who grows concerned over the lifeboat shortage on deck. And the liner collides with a small sailing ship in a fog. Mm-hmm. So as most people know, the Titanic had very few lifeboats, like not enough for all of their passengers. So this is what he was talking about in this book. And as the ocean liner sank, um, women and children were obviously given priority in this novel and but chaos reigned and only about 200 passengers and crew members of the original 700 actually survived this disaster in the book Uh. um but then like the protagonist thompson survives when a lifeboat circles back around and pulls him out of the water and the author's word of advice was this is exactly what might happen and what will happen if ocean liners are sent with short supplies of boats Wow, really a true moral to the story there. But it gets even crazier. So in a horrible twist of fate, remember this book was written in the late 1880s, mm-hmm. Titanic sank in 1912. Steed was on the Titanic. No. Yep. He was on the Titanic and he lost his life during the disaster. I, did he count the boats before he got on? I doubt it. But, <laughs> he really should have known but better. But he should have. <laughs> um, he, because he had written years earlier that he was convinced he would die either by a lynching or drowning and during the disaster he helped women and children into lifeboats and he gave up his life vest to another passenger and ended up dying in the titanic i'm not gonna lie when you said he 
um, he knew he was going to drown. And then like, while the boat was going down, I mm-hmm. thought you were going to say he was screaming. I knew this would happen. Oh, well, I was kind of hoping. You could have. We don't know. We don't know. We don't as, know. That as he was unclear. putting the children in the boat, I knew this would happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Unclear. unclear. That was loud. <laughs> so that was the first book written up before the Titanic. Okay. That basically mirrors what happened. The second one is called The Wreck of the Titan or mm-hmm. Futility by Morgan Robertson. And this one actually has even more similarities to the Titanic. Um, so the story follows a fictional ocean liner called Titan, which ultimately hits an iceberg in the North Atlantic and sinks. Thanks. And the name and circumstances of the plot aren't the only details that fit, because like the Titanic, the Titan was described as the largest ship afloat at the time. The sizes and lengths of the ship are quite close to the Titanic, as well as the speed as, as to which it crashed into the iceberg. And both liners had a dangerously short amount of lifeboats and in the story the titan was dubbed unsinkable (gasps) and proceeded to sink on a cold april night no yep oh my gosh so in the and the titan sinking resulted in the deaths of 2500 people on board and and only 13 were saved and over 1500 people died on the titanic while 705 made it out so after the sinking of the titanic the book was reissued and like reprinted and Robertson was labeled as clairvoyant for having like written this year's prior. Obviously. Um, and he said that he simply was knowledgeable about maritime operations saying, I know what I'm writing about. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm no psychic, but I know what I'm talking about. He's like, I'm no psychic, but I'm just saying there's a lot of ice out there, a lot of opportunity to hit it. Correct. And a lot of time not to count the boats before you get onto a boat. Right. Like, currently, ocean liners definitely sail without enough lifeboats to save everyone. So... I mean, it's very true. Like, the 1800s, not big fans of safety regulations. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Was not a thing for them. Yeah. Wow. Not even a little bit. So, those stories are both basically the Titanic written 30 or more years prior to it. Eerily similar. Yes. How I mean, that... That kind of reminds me how, like, uh, when you're reading sci-fi or dystopian um, fiction, it's usually, like, whatever you read, it, you usually see it come to fruition later on. Mm-hmm. However, that's usually because um, people will read them and be like, that would be cool technology to have. Um, I doubt that somebody read the Titan book and was like, that'd be cool. Yeah, we should <laughs> see if this could happen. We should see if we can bring this to fruition. Right. Terrifying. Yeah. So terrifying, but also very interesting that multiple books were written about this years prior to the Titanic sinking. Absolutely. And they didn't even include Leonardo DiCaprio Mm. as any of their protagonists. Nope. So clairvoyant, but like not that clairvoyant. But not like grade A clairvoyant. Yeah. Like Like he's B team. At the best. At best. For sure. Mm -hmm. Nice. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing, Marles. That is my first story of this Ever, ever, ever. Story of the Titanic and the two fictional books. Wonderful. Well, mm-hmm. thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I got you. Got you, boo. Okay, it's my turn. Welcome back. <laughs> thank that you. <laughs> we edited. We're back. Here it is. <laughs> we're breaking fresh. the fourth wall. <laughs> we're fresh. Fresh. Okay, so um, I'm going to tell you the origin story of roller coasters. Yes. It's a little more upbeat than uh, the sinking of a boat and people dying. That's weird, but okay. 
<laughs> That's weird. All right. Direction to take. Weird. All right. I want you to picture this. It's either the 15th, 16th, 17th, or 18th century mm-hmm. in Russia. Really nails it down for me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the reason I couldn't nail down the exact date is because between Britannica and Wikipedia, they couldn't decide on an official century. So we're just going for the range of centuries. However, if we do decide to really nail it down to a century, we're going to go with the 18th century. It's most convenient for my narrative. Right. So um, the bourgeoisie is getting lit. Catherine the Great is having a ball of a good time with her horses. Mm-hmm. And overall, Russia is enjoying being the most terrifying part of Europe. Um, at this time period, they were just rearranging the borders of Poland and kind of decimating the Ottoman Empire. Uh, just it was part of what they felt to be their civic duty. Now, you might ask, why was the bougie getting so lit? Well, um, um, amongst an array of reasons, such as having wealth and privilege, um, their upper class also had access to the sickest form of entertainment available that time. Mm-hmm. So these things were the Russian mountains, a.k.a. the ice hills, a.k.a. the Russian winter sled rides. Got it. These are the original roller coasters. Now, um, these slides were essentially just a bunch of wooden boards slapped together um, with very little regard to safety. Um, And they were coated in ice. And then people would slide down them on either sleds, blocks of ice covered in straw. And eventually, um, for summertime, they were like, do you know what would be awesome? Is if we got little carts because we don't have ice in the summer. Mm -hmm. And then we put wheels on them. And then we just sent them down that absolute slope slope. (laughs) and there's um if you look at pictures there's no um obviously there's no pictures but there's illustrations of it Mm -hmm. it genuinely is terrifying to look at um so they were usually built around 70 to 80 feet tall and then um and then they were at a 50 degree uh angle Mm -hmm. um which usually gets you up to some good speed if you're on ice or if you're on a little cart with tiny little wheels and no guardrails. They didn't have guardrails. I cannot stress enough how very unconcerned they were about safety. I cannot say how little safety there was. <laughs> I cannot stress it enough. So, um, anywho, they, <laughs> they're hilarious. You should look up images of it. Um, so, this entertainment spread from Russia to Paris when the Russians were kindly escorting Napoleon Bonaparte back to his home mm-hmm. um, after an attempted invasion in the midst of winter. Um, <laughs> so classic. classy, classy. So they brought it to Paris, France, and they're like, I'm not even going to imitate their accent. It would be offensive. <laughs> Good call. So um, eventually the U.S. was looking at what Paris had and they're like, do you know what? I think I could really get into some of that unfettered fun. I think that could be amazing. I think that's what the U.S. needs to offer right now. All we have for any form of entertainment is just tossing ourselves off of Niagara Falls in a barrel. Mm-hmm. And so, really, there wasn't a lot of competition for uh, entertainment. So, the U.S., um, the first roller coaster was a massive safety upgrade from what Russia had. Right. Um, but definitely not anywhere to what we have today where you're like double strapped in and held tight to anything. Right. And so the very first one was called the Mach uh, Chunk Switchback Railway, which was created in a mining town in Pennsylvania. Mm. And the name really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it truly does. And you're like, where do I want to go this weekend? The 
Mock Chunk Switchback Railway. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it was actually built on a um, an old rail <laughs> a set of rails for railroad. A railroad, thank you, yep. for delivering coal, and um, people would hop onto the rides because at that time period, the fastest you could go was in a horse and buggy, and so hopping onto a train uh, that was heading down a mountain at sixty miles per hour was thrilling. The train, um, the train company was like, "Could we make money off this? You bet your cuss we could." Oh, <laughs> oh, and so they Tell started more. <laughs> so they started charging five cents uh, per passenger to ride on there, mm-hmm. and they would um, they would have mules drag the train up to the top of the hill, and then um, they would just let gravity take forth its position. <laughs> that is not how you say that. Um, they would just let gravity take over, and then let go of the brakes and whoo, slide back down that mountain um, at sixty miles per hour, which was amazing mm-hmm. it'd be thrilling mm-hmm. so um so this brings us to the father of the american roller coaster aka the father of the gravity ride aka producer of women's hosiery and seamless undies lamarcus thompson thank you mr thompson for bringing us seamless underwear and hosiery and hosiery what a- <laughs> that's quite the jump to roller coasters then well just just you wait he was also a Sunday school teacher, um, and despite the fact that he lived a very contradictory life and he enjoyed making women's underwear in his factory, um, he also was very concerned with the moral welfare of the United States right. because um, at this time period, there was a lot of saloons, gambling, horse races, and brothels, yep. um, and so he looked around and he was like, where is the hub of the sin? Coney Island. Because they had it all. They had bars. They had swimsuits. They had horse races. They had brothels, as I said before. And as the Smithsonian interview um, that I watched eloquently said, they had loose women. Hmm. Gotta love that. <laughs> you do. And I was like, well, that. The island does have it all. <laughs> that cannot be the politically correct way of phrasing that. Well, times have changed. Well. <laughs> have they? have then. And so Lamarcus asked himself, what in the cuss would save America from the clutches of Satan? Mm -hmm. And he thought about it and he was like, I know, roller coasters. Yes. (laughs) I agree. Wouldn't they? Because I mean, when it, what it comes down to is that it's hard to be a loose woman on a roller coaster. There's a lot of straps going on. (laughs) Safety measures, a lot of wind, not much can happen on a roller coaster that's loose. You know? Yep, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, with that being said, um, on June 16th, 1884, he opened the very first roller coaster at Coney Island, and it was called the Switchback Gravity Railway. Again, they were not very good with their... Who is naming these things? (laughs) I know. When I was reading through it, I was like, I'm going to stumble over all of these. So, uh, (laughs) I just, I foresaw all the issues coming ahead. It's a catchy name, and it's it was an even better setup. Okay. So um, imagine that you climb 50 feet up a staircase to get to the already you seem enthused to get up to the loading platform. Mm-hmm. And then you load into the cars. And um, so it's 50 feet up. They just they let gravity take over. And so you would just fall down uh, the 50 feet. And because it's only at 50 feet and it was at a I'm no scientist, but it was at such a degree that you only went six miles per hour. So obviously, whiplash. Just came at six miles per hour. It doesn't matter. Rolling. And that is what's going to stop 
Sin. Sin. Yeah. Six miles per hour. That makes down sense. a hill. Yep. That's it's enthralling. Um, so and then when you're at the bottom of that hill, the workers would switch that train over to the other tracks. Um while people are in it? <laughs> no, you'd have to disembark from your journey. Sure. And then once the cars are switched, it's a really fast moving uh amusement park. The lines are probably never long. And then um after you've disembarked, you get back into the train car to get back to the loading platform because then you go back down the hill again. Mm. So um, it's kind of a one way and then the other. You can't visually see what I'm doing, but it makes sense. Um, There's a lot of arm movements, listeners. <laughs> you're welcome. So, uh, yeah, then you'd climb back in and um, end to end. He grew. He got some competitors because as it turns out, it's not convenient to disembark halfway through a roller coaster ride. Mm. And so other people were like, I bet I could do this better and name it with more catchy things. And yep. so he grew, he, uh, he started upping his game. And by the end of his life, um, by the time he died at the age of 71, he actually had over um, 50 roller coasters built worldwide. And he became the first ever millionaire um, who profited off of roller coasters and the end of loose women. Good for him. <laughs> Good on him way to just see a problem and fix it you know right and i mean i like that his career went from making underwear to roller coasters roller coasters to stop sin to stop sin to stop satan yep satan stopped dead in his tracks the day roller coasters began yeah that's what i've always said <laughs> that's what i've always every time i'm at six flags i'm like do you know who's not here satan, satan. yep <laughs> old scratch makes only the most sense <laughs> it's the screaming yeah that really helps like scare satan away that's the last thing he wants to hear mm-hmm. that's why hell is usually depicted as something so peaceful and tranquil yeah this is our closing bit um kind of a preview episode to what we intend to do with the podcast yeah we'll take you through different times in histories different cultures different places different inventions mm. and you never know what we're gonna find. <laughs> it's true. I mean, also, I don't, I don't know if Marley and I necessarily have like a super clear vision of what we want to do, but we have the idea that, well, we are incredible, and uh, we're gonna look up some stuff on Wikipedia, and you could easily access that. But would you, would you rather we tell it to you, mm. or would you rather just read it off a of boring old Wikipedia? You know, so right. it's this it's the appeal experience with us. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, God bless. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag. uh, We're doing the Lord's work. (laughs) Bye. Bye.